Blog Talk Radio.
notion that it was that record because that record was you know his 180 degree turn after something anything to the dismay of the record company and to the dismay of radio and back then they were hoping for you know a follow-up to something anything in the same vein and uh, so it's actually a record that's near and dear to Todd's heart because it was so contrary
Yeah. 
Another edition of Rungan Radio. This may end up being one of our biggest shows ever as far as what we're going to talk about. Our special guest is Paul Myers, by the way. He'll be on in a little while. He's writing a book about Todd's studio experiences. He's talked to pretty much anybody that's been in the studio with Todd. Mounds of information. We're going to pick his brain a little bit about what his book's about, who he's talked to, and why. He's actually been to Hawaii and hung out with Todd for a few days to get his information for the book. We have a big announcement that we've talked about. We'll be sharing that with you in a minute, but before we do that, I must say hello to my co-host, Cruiser Mel. What's up? Howdy, Doug. Good evening to you. Everything's good here. How are you? I'm doing all right. Been busy. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm excited. You're excited? Uh Uh-huh, a little bit. Yeah, because we've got another show or what? Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed the uh, Watts album clip of every song with a little bit of Eric Gardner in there. If you don't remember, Eric was on the show. We talked to him a little about this a Watts rumor that was started overseas. A UK promoter, obviously, if you heard that, brought it up and has not made an offer. And so we suggested that we make an offer, and that is exactly what we did. And although everything is subject to change, and we can only tell you a little bit about what's going on, and there are no contract signed, so anything could fall apart. We will put that disclaimer out there. It is looking very good for very Rundgren good. Radio Birthday Bash 2 to feature Todd Rundgren and a band performing the entire A Wizard, A True Star album. Isn't that amazing? If oh. it happens, that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. How about that? Oh, my that? gosh. It's, it's very exciting. But, y'all, we... we we don't. We want to stress. Please don't make any kind of plane reservations, hotel reservations. Don't even rent a car yet because <laughs> still in pencil. Yep. And um, we're going to let you know when the time is right. Okay. Yep. So any rumors you've heard, any locations or whatever, don't buy into it yet. Everything is subject to change, but we are in talks, and it looks like we have a deal, and it looks like we're going to have a blast. Our target date for doing this will be September the sixth, which is Labor Day weekend. That is the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, same as last year's Rungan Radio Birthday Bash. And we are just doing everything we can to make this happen because we know that's what the fans want. We know that it will be a special show and it will be different. And we know that is one of the most popular Todd albums with the hardcore Todd fans. And we know it would be quite interesting to see how in the world he would be able to pull that off. Um. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, there's some interesting little <laughs> sound bites and stuff in there. I guess he still has the original files. Who knows? Did they even call them files back then? I don't know. Tapes <laughs> is what I keep hearing. <laughs> I don't know. You know, though, if this if this goes well, too, who's to say that Todd wouldn't do more of these shows? You know, that's not really our role. Uh, we might be interested in doing more if this one pans out and it goes well and all that good stuff, but we don't know anything about that. You know, somebody mentioned on TRC that we might be announcing – a tour of Watts, and they were joking, but we're not Todd's tour manager, and we're not his booking agent, but uh, we have put in a request for this show, and everything's moving along pretty well, so next Tuesday, if not before, we'll probably go full-blown announcement with where it will be, if everything works out, and how you can get involved, 
and all that good stuff. There will be plenty of room for everybody that's listening to this show, that's for sure. And um Well yeah, this I mean this is gonna be a public deal. I mean, this, yeah, is, this will be a public event, even though, you know, our private event last year for the birthday, we're going to go full public on this one. Because it is a watch, it would be a shame to have that for 100 people when there's probably thousands that want to see it, we hope. Uh, venue size would probably be over 2,000 seats, and our goal would be to pack it out uh, because that's what Todd deserves, is to be playing in 2,000-seat venues plus, really bigger than that, actually, but wouldn't it be nice to be able to go see your Todd friends and go see this unique show and have 2,000-plus people there? That are really That's into it. That's not what we're used to seeing right now. Yeah. Yeah, p- yeah. 2,000 people really into it. I mean, everyone might bring their lights for their hair like Pippi does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There would be no um, hello, it's me cries or anything like that because everybody who buys a ticket for this is going to know exactly what they're getting into. Yeah. However, I will say this: if this were to happen, a watch is only a 55-minute plus some seconds song. Uh, I mean, album, and Todd shows are usually an hour and a half, two hours. So we do know that we would get some other songs. What those would be is anybody's guess. You know, we don't control that, nor are we going to try. But should be fun. You know, you get to see some other Todd stuff, and then you get to see the full album. What a great night that would be. Mhm. Mhm. I know so many people love that album. It's 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 really dear and near and dear to many people's hearts, including Todd's, I think. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So soon we'll have a website up with all the information, so we'll let you know about that next week. No worries, the tickets won't be on sale if we get this done. It'd still be a couple of weeks at least. So don't worry about that. Um there's plenty of time and we'll let you know in advance. I'm pretty sure we would do a theater-style setup with reserve seats. Uh, that seems to be appropriate for this, which has been an interesting co- topic of conversation between Cruiserman and I. Is, you know, do you sit down or stand for this album? And part of me says, you know, really, you sit down, and then you listen to something like Tick, 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 and you want to stand up and dance. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that pans out. Maybe it'll be a mix of both. Yeah. One thing's for sure. Almost all of us are pretty familiar with the material. So there will be singing true. in the audience, that's for sure. <laughs> I wonder sometimes if they can hear us singing. Well, personally, I hope nobody sings other than <laughs> the people on the stage. That would be my preference. Yeah. You know, lip syncing's okay, but I really i am not going to pay money to go see other people sing. I, actually, uh, uh, speaking of, I went to a Hall & Oates show. saw them at Chastain Park last Friday. Oh, yeah? How'd that go? Uh, it was good, you know. It's, it's, I, I, I can't help it. I know Mike Benner. I think has mentioned this. Some other people, Mindy. You know, you go to these shows, and all you can think about is how a Todd show go, goes and what the difference is. And a couple of things I did notice. One is that, and of course, this is an outdoor venue. You can bring your own coolers and stuff. It was really more of a social hour. It was like being in a bar, uh, not not, you know, in, in a nice theater where you're watching a, a musical or something and everybody's quiet and you're you're enjoying the music and the show. I mean, there was more talking going on than than uh, I would care to have. You know, I could hear the show okay, but it, it really wasn't loud enough. They actually had some sound issues too, a lot of reverb. But it was, it, if I would have been a big fan, I would have been very frustrated with the crowd. But luckily I just kind of was there to hang out and have a good time, so it worked out for me. But, you know, I'll say this about them, and, and no, no offense to Hall & Oates, 
you just didn't really see a lot of excitement with those two guys because I think they've been playing these same songs over and over again for God knows how long. I mean, they played all their hits, okay. and, you know, they could probably do it blindfolded. You just don't see it, you know, like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. But Did I they don't have something think, new coming out? I don't know. Oh, they had something out a couple of years ago, I think, but... uh you know, they played everything. You name the song, Sarah, Smile, all that stuff, you know, Man Eater, whatever, one-on-one. They played all of it. So, you know, people, a lot of the crowd didn't show the appreciation for it, that's for sure. But uh-huh. it is what it is. So enough of hollow notes. Let's talk about Todd Rundgren. Again, the big news tonight, it looks like we may have a, a watch gig, all, all of the album, top to bottom. If we pull it off, it will be September the 6th. Uh, we do not know locale yet. We will announce that soon. Next week, we'll probably have all the information, and we can hook you up. But speaking of touring and Todd Rundgren, Cruiser Mail, he's only got a few left. One of them's tonight. What else do we have for Mr. Rundgren? Well, not counting tonight, there's only two more chances to see Todd, at least for a little while. Mm. Uh, and that would be Thursday this week in Cleveland and Friday in Chicago. So you people in Cleveland... You better step it up, sell that place out, because Chicago sold out a few weeks ago. So. Yeah, Chicago has been sold out for a while. Cleveland, I don't know, the venue may be pretty large. I'm not sure what the deal is, but I did hear Cleveland still has some tickets available. We do know we got a big posse going over there. You know, uh-huh. at least you know a couple dozen of people we know that are, that are going to get together, kind of like Birmingham, have a good time and party at the gig together. There better, be, there better be some uh, some Rundgren Radio T-shirts in that crowd, because we're we've got a tie <laughs> in there that's going to take pictures. Yeah, we're gonna make sure we got we got spies in there. <laughs> got a pimp. <laughs> yep. 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 So, um, yeah. so anyway, guys, you've only got two more chances um, to to see this at least for a little while. Like we said, we don't have any idea when he's gonna come back around. Um, but for now, the end of the tour and yep. Friday night. There, there are rumors of, of June some summer tour. Um, there are some out there, but you know, again. I know some of you got burned on some liar show years ago, and and they're real sensitive about giving information until everything's a done deal. So all I can tell you right now is Cleveland Thursday, Chicago Friday, and if you're in Foxborough tonight, like Mark Moretti and Grady Motes and some others, and you're enjoying the show, I think Lois is there as well. So and Dennis, yeah. Really, you think? Yeah, we got a few friends there. <laughs> she hasn't seen enough of the show yet. <laughs> really. <laughs> She's hoping, she's thinking she's a, what's it called, not a stand-in, but a, oh, you know, the actor that fills in when the other actor is sick. I think she's just hoping she can get a gig in case one of them gets sick. She can step in. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Too much. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen, um, I wanted to, to give a shout-out to Mike Adrian for uh, his great little blog, which is toddrundgrenarena.blogspot.com. Have you looked over there lately at some... Great pictures that he's posting over there. Oh, yeah. He's got good stuff on there all the time. Updates pretty much every day, it seems like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's got some super pictures from, I think, 75, back when Todd had his old teeth. <laughs> They're really good. And, uh, yeah, he updates all the time. He's got some videos up there from a fan named Mr. Doomsday, whoever that is, hmm. from the New York shows. And uh, one of them's like a slideshow. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Very good. Yeah. All right, let's talk about some future shows coming up. Next week, we don't have anybody booked yet. We're working on something big. Hopefully, we'll have that. 
we'll have something the 28th of April, and then we roll into May. We've already got a couple guests lined up in May, and we've got a couple open spots, but we have Trey Sabatelli, who was the drummer on the Power Trio Tour and is also one of the three, I think they have, Tubes drummers. Uh, Prairie, of course, being our number one choice. And uh, Trey is one of them, and then I think they have another one. But it's mostly Trey and Prairie. Speaking of the Tubes, I saw that the tickets went on sale today. If you want to see them at the Ram's Head, you Baltimore people. We know we got some Baltimore people that listen. Yeah, those Tube so, shows are so much fun. Yeah, it's good times. And then on the 19th, we have uh, Jenny Mulder. She will be on. And um, that's it oh. for May. But we have three other weeks open, and we will find guests, of course, like we always do. Or we'll just get on here and do something else. What can we do, Cruiser Mel? Maybe an album show or something. Yep. Tell jokes. Yep, or I can twirl my baton and tap dance and roller skate all at the same time. But it's, <laughs> it's hard yeah. to do on radio. There you go. So but, I would I would suggest we do something else. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. No worries, though. We are not going to run out of things to do. we got a call that's been on hold for a while. Let's see what they want. 216, you're with us? 216, you just hanging out? Hey, Doug. Yes. No, this is this is Mike Bender. I was just uh, I was listening on the phone because it's it's uh, buffering on my computer pretty slowly, so yeah. I got hey, both Mike. sides going here. So, Mel, I'd love to see you uh, twirl the baton and roller skate and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see if we can get that uh, that webcam working a little better so that I won't be blurry. Well, you know okay, well, technology, Mike, outside of the modem, right? You've heard of DSL and cable, those type of things? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the problem is. It just keeps saying buffering. So uh, I, I was listening on my way home because I, I couldn't uh, – had to tune in to see what was going on with the Awats thing. So um, yeah. looking hey, forward Sander. to it. Sander, you got the 216 area code going there. Are you in Cleveland right now? Cle- Cleveland's my hometown. Oh. Okay. So I'm in Baltimore, and uh, but I can't give up the 216 area code. Gotcha. gotcha. So you looking you know. forward to the gig on Thursday night, I take it? Yeah, we we are. We got, uh, like you, you mentioned, I think there's uh, over two dozen people that are going to be there, and uh, um, so it, it'll be a blast. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be more than two dozen people there, folks, but two dozen people that they all know each other type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope so, anyway. If yep. not, we yep. need to uh, figure out what's going on in Cleveland. So yeah, y'all, you guys gonna go, um, you know, go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and tell them to get their act together, or just you're gonna go to the gig and maybe, maybe we had a protest before the show. Yeah, man, we need to do a little yeah. protest. <laughs> a big, have a big old hippie sit in and just everybody just lock the doorway. Yeah, everybody going in a Todd shirt. Yeah, that's well, an idea. I heard the the guy that runs it, Jan, is lives in New York, so I don't think do, doing any protests in Cleveland is gonna do a whole lot of good. Yeah, yeah. So well, it's exciting news about this uh, potential show. Yeah, we hope everything comes to fruition. Of course, again, don't book anything. You know how the Todd gigs are until it's all in writing. Nobody wants to talk about it. But it's looking really good. We're very excited about it. And, uh, we will, you know, you know, from our front, we will do everything we can to make sure that this thing happens and um, that we're not just teasing people because yeah. this would be huge, I think, for all kind of reasons. I mean, it's – it's different, you know. People, a lot of people are looking for different because they've seen a lot, you know, the same show a lot. You know, that's that's something. You got people that probably haven't seen Todd in a while, that that really love this time period in the '70s and, and Todd in this album. You got a lot of musicians who are influenced by this album, 
it just would be quite an incredible show. Not to mention, it's probably, I mean, if you l- listen to all the different instruments in there, and it's probably very hard to do. It would take a really good band, so I bet it would be one hell of a show from a musician's perspective to see what all they do and how they create these different sounds. It's 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 just got everything, man. What, what's not to like? Yeah, yeah. No, it'd be it would be phenomenal. It would be an event, that's for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, hopefully, it'll happen. We'll let you know. We're going to get uh, Mr. Paul on here and interview him, and we'll let you hang on. Okay. Thanks. Unless you got questions, you want to talk to Paul? You want me to just put you on mute? No, I'm just on mute's fine. All right, we're gonna do the hey, same Bender, thing. Hey, you have a great year. time Thursday night, and uh, and and rock the socks off that place. Make it happen. Yeah. All right, so I'm gonna. You're gonna. gonna find, I gotta give Paul a call. So we're gonna do a little uh, music action here. So let's see what we can find. Hmm. Well. All right, I'm going to play a little bit of Wolfman Jack. I will interrupt the song. I apologize. This is the alternate version. So some of you have not heard this possibly. Oh, cool. And we will be right back with Paul Myers. You're listening to RungerandRadio.com. You're on a subliminal trip to nowhere, man. you got to get your trip together before you can step in here with us.
said cut it off, I couldn't do it. It would be sacrilege. It was too good a song, too much fun, right? Of course. <laughs> good stuff. All right. So we got Paul Myers on the phone with us, our special guest tonight. We're going to be talking about his book, etc. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, it's uh, it's really warm here in Berkeley. It's surprisingly warm in Berkeley, California. Really? You'd Why be would it be surprisingly surprised. warm at this time of the year? Well, it just I, it got to 91 here yesterday, which is really unheard of. Nice. So I, anyway, I hear you're, you're uh, yeah playing that Wolfman. That's the version that I actually I, I sort of like that version more because of the the fact that it had Wolfman in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you know about that version? I well well. I don't know anything about that particular version. You're starting me off on a bad place, but I mean, I only I only know that you know obviously the Eric Gardner connection with Wolfman Jack, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. But I mean, but uh, we never got around to that particular track on the uh, five days that I spent out, or about four days that I spent out about at uh, at the uh, the spot in Kauai. Very nice. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a pretty rare version, apparently. I, I just you know some guy sent it to me the link to get it and everything and. And uh, it's pretty cool. People seem to like it every time we play it. But, you know, we were talking uh, before uh, we got you on the phone about, uh, and you know about it, we've talked about it, this possible AWATS gig, and and we're hoping to get it, and we're hoping to get it in September. And if we don't, somebody eventually is for sure. You know, it's going to happen. There's too much talk about it, and Todd's clearly interested in it. So it's going to happen. And and so why don't we just start and keep the flow going, even though we're skipping a few albums. But uh, what have you found out interesting about A Wizard of True Star, and have you talked to some of the people that were played a key role in that album? Well, yeah, I just actually uh, a lot of the people you've you've had them on too, of course. I mean, uh, and actually, I want to thank you on on air. I want to thank you for also putting me in touch with a lot of people. I just talked to John Siegler, of course. Who yeah, he was great, yeah, awesome, awesome gentleman. What, can I just say in general, one of the best things about this project for me has been uh, I'm a musician. And I grew up just sort of like loving a lot of things, but always made a point of digging Todd Rundgren and knew that Todd was, you know, he'd done cool stuff on his own and cool stuff with, you know, producing other people. And then I have, of course, Mo Berg, The Pursuit of Happiness, are good friends of mine in Toronto, and maybe they're listening, say hi. Um, I'm from Toronto, Canada originally. So, so there was always that, that awareness of Todd Rundgren in my life. And then what happened was when I came up with this idea, I thought, who would I want to write a book about? Where I, this, might, this will be my fourth book by the time it comes out. Who would I want to write a book about that I would be willing to spend the year going and trying to sort of get the stories? And it, it, you know, I don't know if you've said this to your listeners, but Billy wrote a book that's kind of a biography. You know, it's kind of like a, you know Todd grew up and his mother's in it and all that. This book is not that book. This book is for everyone who's ever just wanted to get sort of like all the guys and girls who played on those records to get together and just basically, I wanted to, I wanted to feel like you're in a room. And or like a documentary or something, and there's all these people, and they're all just sort of, you know, the trials and tribulations of making great art, you know? I mean, that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in studio stories. I'm interested in, in you know, we, uh, or stories of fans like The Pursuit who tell me, you know, Pursuit of Happiness, like, you know, Mo's a huge fan, and so he just, like, he's in his element. He gets down to Bearsville, and he's there, you know, he's there. And, and Chris Abbott from The Pursuit telling me that she's in a tape room, and she backs into the the master tapes for Patti Smith's Wave album, and it dawns on her, oh, my God, I'm in Bearsville, you know, and, and that, that's the story for me. It's, it's about passion, it's about art, and, it, and I guess, you know, as you're, you guys are all Todd fans, so you know about this whole idea of singularity of vision and identity, you know, and, and very few artists have it. Zappa had it, um, you know, a lot, I, I, you could argue a lot of artists that we, who have done huge bodies of work must have had it or else they wouldn't have done huge bodies of work. 
But I'm rambling on here. Yeah, no, no, it's very, we love it. You know, it's one of the things that, that you know, I've told this story before. I mean, one of the things that got this whole radio idea and started, get, you know, got it to happen is just how nice some of the people are that were involved with Todd. You know, when you go to these gigs, a lot of times you get to meet the band and sometimes Todd. and Everybody's just so great and they're so willing to talk about things that, it makes it fun, and uh, you probably got more information than you could probably ever put in a book. Well, you know, good. and I'm a little, a little afraid coming on because you're asking me at a time when I'm, I've done probably about 60 interviews, and I probably have about 25 more. And, of course, everybody's always saying, oh, but you've got to talk to blank, blank. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, people are – I've got to tell you, for instance, I, I, maybe if, if, you, if your listeners want more about the NAS, I'll do it. But I've I got to tell you, I decided I made a few decisions. My whole thing was Todd, when he got frustrated in the Naz with how the records were sounding, and then he took over the second album, right, mm-hmm. Naz Naz. That's when he kind of began as a producer. But I really kind of start I start talking about his productions really after the Naz, and so I know a lot of Naz fans. Somebody actually online said, you know, you got to talk to Stuky. Well, I could talk to Stuky. I have no problem with that. I'm a huge fan of those records. But really, what this is about is about an odyssey of of you know the Upper Darby kid and, and how he. How he, you know, when he takes on, you know, getting into the sort of 69, 70, you know, the Runt, Ballad of Runt, uh, Ballad of Todd Runger, that is. And then, you know, then all that period where he's like a spate of activity, you know, he's going from, you know, uh, the, the, the dolls, the uh, something, anything, the dolls. And then, um, and then, of course, that period when he starts, like, when he says the music's just flowing out of him. And he said that to me, and he, he said that in the other things I've read, you know. There was a period where Todd just couldn't stop himself. He had to have a second band to, to keep it all going, right? And that's why it's indistinguishable sometimes to me when I'm listening in my, when I'm hearing songs in my head. I go, is that from Wizard or is that from Utopia in my head? Because yeah. I think of or the Todd album especially. The Todd album to me is a Utopia record, but it's not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you, you and I know the difference, but but they're all from a piece, you know. And, and Siegler was talking about this the other day. It's like they were just in a shop making music, you know. And and that's. I'm over-romanticizing it, maybe, but it is like, I, you know, I, I threw this at Siegler the other day. I said it's like Andy Warhol's factory, you know, the idea that there's an art space where they make stuff, and that was secret sound, you know, Moogie's Place. You yeah, know? So I, I always think about that. I'd love to see it. I just try to, every guest we've had, I'm trying to get a vision of what this room looked like and how in the world Moogie had it and why it was a place where they could record. It's really uh very interesting stuff, so I'm sure that's going to be fun to, to read about in your book. Well, yeah, I and mean, I've got all that, uh, you know, the whole story about how they wired it, and Todd was, uh, Todd, Todd told me stuff, and Moogie told me stuff, and then, you know, Willie's told me stuff, and, you know, I, I tracked down Kevin Elman, and, and you know, a lot, a lot of the people who, you know, Ralph Shuckett was amazing. I've I got to say, I've had some amazing musical discussions, and my big thing, and you can already tell the way I've answered these long answers, I love talking to musicians, and I get off on, like, talking about stuff sometimes not about the book, you know, and I'm like, so we do an hour of talking about working with Todd, and that, and then about, you know, 45 minutes of just like, wow, you know, you know, wasn't that cool when this other person did this record, and these musicians are just so full with music, that's why they ended up working with Todd, and that's, you know, because Todd could do it all himself if he wanted to, but he, he knew he needed to have other people, I mean, you know, and and some of the and just just to break it up, like it's sort of like the side side four or something, anything. You know, like uh, the whole idea that you know I could have done the fourth side, but I decided to make it into something else. You know. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, all those guys. Shuckett was great. Ralph Shuckett. Um, you know what's weird? I gotta say, this is weird. And maybe you've had a hard time with this too. I don't know why. And this maybe I, I should say this publicly. 
is anyone knows why Meatloaf doesn't want to talk to me or if he even knows? Uh, Meatloaf's management have just said, oh, he's busy for the next two years. And I'm like, well, too busy to talk for <laughs> half an hour? Well, really? we we, uh, we put Hi. a feeler out for Meatloaf one time, and it was uh, – we got a quick uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah, really weird. Know. You know, it's just really weird to me because – um, I know he tell he told the story on Behind the Music. He told the story on uh, classic albums, and I've got those DVDs. And and it's just like I kind of you know since I'm getting everybody else in the first person, I'm trying so hard not to use secondary sources. You know, you know, and I you know I'll be honest, I'm not competing with Billy James. I mean, Billy James went out of his way and got this really cool biography, which frankly I've used. I've looked at it and go, oh, so that's who I should be talking to. But I'm making a point of saying. I'm not going to just say he told blank, 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 because that's not what I want to do. I want to have those conversations, and I want to do it. So I could get the source material on Meatloaf, and I'm trying to find Steinman, and I don't know what's going on between Steinman and Meatloaf and Meatloaf and blank. You know. So that's been the weirdest part. I mean, everybody, I mean, uh, bourgeois tag guys have been amazing. They're all, they've all come forward, or actually not all of them yet, but they're going to. Um, XTC, my one of my, you know, I have to say XTC is my favorite band, and Todd is, Todd is up there with XTC. But the fact when those two worked together, it blew my mind back when that Skylarking album happened. So to get all of XTC on on the record about that record, especially because I had had heard like all of us that there'd been some turbulent times, but they're all it seems like they all understand now that they made a great record, you know. So, oh yeah, that's a great one, and we've had them all on. They're great guests. They're a lot of fun. But you you have. Uh... Politically, as a, a politician, you haven't answered the watch question, so we'll get back to it later. Well, let's, let's oh, talk. no, no, we can go back. <laughs> now, we'll get there. I want to back up, though. I want you to tell me about the other books that you've written so people will know and know that you are legit and have already published some good books. And Oh, well, uh, well, let's go back to the, t- you know, years ago, I was uh, a touring musician or, you know, a, a recording musician and a band called The Gravel Berries. And my band used to open for, well, actually... The Bare Naked Ladies in Toronto opened for us, and then within a year we were opening for them, and then within a year they had gone like huge in Canada, and I think eventually uh, a few years later they were like number one in America for a while. So the Bare Naked Ladies called me when I started doing writing, and they said, you know, we know you, you know us, maybe you should write our biography. So that was the first book I ever did was Bare Naked Ladies Public Stunts uh, Private Stories, which was uh, published by Simon & Schuster, and it was kind of like the authorized biography. In fact, that's what it says, the authorized biography. So it's the closest they've come to an autobiography, but they kind of made me a point person. And I kind of was just learning how to write, and I was I was uh, appointed by the band to be a character in the story. And so so some of the, some of the Bare Naked Ladies fans were like, why is Paul Myers in this story so much? <laughs> but So what I made a point of doing on my next book was just saying, well, you know, let's see what it's like to take me out of the equation so much, you know. So then uh, I did a book about a blues man. I grew up listening to a lot of 70s rock, and a lot of that stuff was inspired by, it was British, and it was inspired by American blues. I found out that there's this fascinating character, Long John Baldry. And Long John Baldry was, and I love saying this, he was a six foot, six foot seven white gay English blues man, which is already kind of unique, right? <laughs> and, and he was the guy who basically loved Muddy Waters, and he loved... Uh, he loved, although literally those guys would come to England and he would treat them like he put them up in a hotel and he would play with them. And, and he kind of helped popularize the blues in London. So younger guys like Eric Clapton would go and see John Baldry playing acoustic blues and go, wow, white guy can do this. Maybe I should try this. And, and, he discover, and Baldry discovered Rod Stewart uh, literally playing harmonica on a train station platform and he put him in his band and 
he discovered uh, Reggie Dwight, who became Elton John. And uh, so I, that was my second book. It was called uh, It Ain't Easy, Long John Baldry and the Birth of the British Blues. And that just came out like last year. And like a book like that, I didn't expect to sell a lot of copies, but it, it actually got really well reviewed. Like the right people reviewed it and, and said really nice things. So I considered that a success. So I walked away from the table thinking, well, there you go. At least I know I can do that. So then I thought the next book I write, well, actually, I did a work for hire after that. That's going to come out soon. It's a, a guide to living cheaply, but that, that doesn't count as a music book. Uh, it's called How to Be Poor, and we'll, I'll let you know more about that later. Uh, it's very, it's suddenly become very timely. Uh, but uh, so, then, so then I said to this publisher, I said, you know, I said, yeah, I, I want to do the same thing I did with Baldry, except I want to do about somebody who's, who's alive so I have a chance of interviewing them because Baldry was dead. And then I also want to do something about like music that I know, like music that I like really, like a scene that I really, uh, I bought those records. So then, you know, I said, Todd Rundgren, this English publisher, Jawbone Press, said, uh, that's a great idea. And then I said, but I'm only going to do it if I can get Todd. Like, and so I, then I contacted everyone over at Eric Gardner, told them what I was doing. They'd met me a couple of times. I suppose I checked with them. And, and then uh, I actually, they said, Todd said, yes, he'll talk to you. And then I said, but... You know, before I even start, I want to have a 15-minute phoner with Todd where I just explain the book to him so he knows what it is. Because I know that he guards his privacy, and I, I know that there's been a lot of stuff written about him and a lot of people out there saying stuff. So what I, I wanted him to know that I understand that part of it. And, like, I understand, like, it's, I don't think I care about private life stuff. I care more about the artistic decisions. You know, some of the private life in, inspires the music, of course, but, and there will be some of that. But it's not a salacious book. It's not about any of the, you know, all the, you know, backstories that you, I'm sure you've heard about, and I don't even need to. Uh, well, we try to get them, but we haven't had much luck. Well, it's fine. It's fine with, you know, I mean, that's what you do, and that's fine. Yeah. I, I, I'm not casting aspersions. I'm just telling you what I'm interested in. Like, I'm interested in, like, my favorite, you know, like I love Mojo Magazine. I love things like that. I love things where you hear, you hear like, sort of in-the-room stuff. I love the, the writing of people like Barney Hoskins, who just did a book about Tom Waits that's amazing, and and Sid Griffin, who did a thing about Dylan, uh, about the basement tapes, and and these and Sylvie Simmons writes for Mojo. These are great music writers, and that's what I want to write about is music. You know, like uh, that's the, I'm a guitar player. You know, <laughs> so it's it's my first love. Well, I mean, you know, I haven't answered your AWOTS question by the way. Just so you know. Oh uh, yeah, it's, I know, I know. <laughs> it may uh, never happen. We, well, we've got no, plenty of time getting in all the albums, but it's um, you know, a different book like that is great, and we have a lot of musicians that listen to the show, and I'm sure they're very pleased about it. And the ones of us that aren't, well, I'm sure we'll learn a lot of interesting things. It's not, it's not going to have like music notation in it. It's not that kind of book either. Right. Like just so you know, I'm not. I, I there might be some descriptions. Like I was surprised, Sil Sylvain of the New York Dolls remembered every piece of gear that that they used on their very first album with Todd. <laughs> you know, and like I, I especially because from what I'd heard about the New York Dolls, I assumed that they wouldn't know remember a lot of stuff. But actually, Sil's a great guy. Sil Sil was another guy that uh, surprised me uh, just how wonderful he was. Like just to talk to, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, that's a great. That's a great story in itself because 36 years after their first album, they did another one, which I don't know if you guys, you guys have an advance of that yet, but the new New York Dolls album that Todd did, I have, I, I'm doing a review for Crawdaddy Magazine, and it's, uh, it's so good. It, it's, it's one of the best Todd productions in years. Like it's, it's more of his rock style. Right. You know, it's like um, – have you heard it? No, well, we've heard some of the songs on MySpace, but I have not heard the album now. Oh my God, it it just—I think it's like uh, it may even be 
you know, probably is better than their first album. Really? Well, they yeah, I, I think. I mean, in that they're now more authentic. They're more, you know, uh, Johansson sounds, uh, I, I describe it in uh, Crawdaddy coming up soon. It's not published yet. But I described it as his voice sounds lived in and quite possibly nearly died in. <laughs> like, like he sounds authentically African American on this record. Like, like, like it's really bluesy. And the guitar player in the band now is a guy named uh, Steve Conte, and he is just an amazing guitar player. And Sills in there doing the great rhythm, and just Johansson's attitude is amazing. And and Todd really got a great working sound out of the band. They just sound like a, a band in a really nice room. Yeah, well, and, they, uh, and I, I know from talking to Todd that that's something that he's. I was surprised. I always thought that he he was an additive producer, like he liked to add things, and it's quite the opposite when he works with other bands. He's he's uh, um, he's, he's uh, what do you call it? He, he's re- reductive, I guess is the word. He, he's subtractive. Like he likes it to get it down to the essence, and that's what you know. The problems only happen when bands don't really have songs finished or know what they want to sound like. You know, but that is best. Hey, Paul. Ooh. Yeah, hey, hey, Mel. About the this is Mel. About the Hi, Mel. Uh, New York Dolls album, uh, did they actually record that in Todd's studio in his house? Do you know? Well, it's it's a funny story because they actually recorded most of it in Todd's house, but the um, the the apparently Todd was telling me the drum room wasn't ready, so they had to rent a he had to rent a, um, a barn or something down the hill. From the, you know you you guys have all been to the place right uh, yeah yeah so the the drum tracks uh, the drum tracks were like I think done down in the main this bigger place but then everything was done up and you know the mix was done up in his house and everything and I think all the vocals and stuff were done and maybe any overdubs and stuff yeah we talked about that because I actually was I was looking around thinking where did you do that album in, in this place and uh, yeah I think I think I mean technically the whole record is credited as being recorded at Utopia Sound which I think I guess that name just goes wherever he goes, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially now that he's doing so much laptop stuff, I'm sure I'm sure Utopia Sound is whatever's on his power book, so to speak. Well this was um the song on MySpace is the same as the album it's I says so because I says so or something like that. Yeah, that's the title track from the album. Probably the single I guess if there's yeah. such a thing as a single anymore. Well there's a rumor that um you know, they got there and weren't really that prepared and, you know, Todd had to kinda of String him along a little bit, or, or play a bigger role than he was expecting. Maybe is that true? Yeah, Do you know still, anything about still, it? Still kind of uh, alluded to that too. Um, yeah, it, basically they hadn't. Uh, it, you know, I don't know if, if it's too judgmental to say they weren't prepared. Uh, I, I I don't want to go on a limb and say that they were underprepared because maybe for the New York Dolls, I mean, you know, I, you've read about like Utopia themselves used to go into the studio without anything written, so. Mm-hmm. The question is, can you write it while you're there? And I think the problem was, yeah, maybe some lyrics had to be written. I, I, I'm actually, I'm actually uh, about to talk to David, so I'm going to find out exactly. Phil told me, you know, from his point of view, that he he felt like the whole process was over too fast. Hmm. But then maybe maybe that's you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. Maybe for him, he is used to stretching out in the studio. So right. maybe and maybe Todd's thing is get him in, get him out, because I know. It, it, yeah, definitely. <laughs> from what it's we like did. getting a haircut yeah. with Todd, I guess. Right? <laughs> like you know, it's like next, you know, because yeah. I think he really likes to just say, okay, let's just get it and let's just mix it. And and obviously, if you've got your material written, he's big about material. Like you know, so he's probably really he he was probably thinking they needed to finish some stuff when they got there because he's very on top of it. That's one of his jobs as producer, right? Yeah. One of his biggest jobs as producer is before anything is even rolling. 
is just to say, okay, that song's great, that song needs to be finished, this song here is the wrong tempo, or, you know, and, you know, depending on who you are, and if you're a young band, or maybe in the case of the Dolls, you know, they they have a certain thing that they wanted to do, and, you know, I don't know, whatever, it, it is tricky, because, like, both people will have an opinion about it, you know, like, so the Dolls might have thought it, went, it was that they were rushed, and Todd may have thought that they seemed rushed because they weren't prepared, I don't know. Yeah, but it, it sounds great. That's the funny thing. But it's probably one of my favorite albums of the year, and I would say that even if I didn't know Todd worked on it, you know. Hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, let's take a quick commercial break. Okay. And then we'll be right back. This is Colin Moulding from XTC, and you're listening to RunRunRadio.com. Our guest is Paul Myers. He's writing a book about Todd. What, have you got a name for the book yet? Oh, yeah. I've actually had the name almost before I even got the the, the deal. It was uh, Todd Rundgren, Sounds of the Studio. Oh, very nice. Of course, you'll recognize. You might want but to change it to Utopia Studio. <laughs> well, Sounds of the Studio is like obviously the track from from the intro off Something Anything. On when, when you know We're going to play a little game now called Sounds of the Studio, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> which I, I've always remembered that because that's the one, you know, Todd's. And what I, that to me defined Todd when I was just a kid, because it was that's he was on the first you know I, I suppose in the fifties people would have looked at Les Paul and his multi-track records as being the kind of the the predecessor to Todd like like a, a, a studio producer who was a rocker but who made you aware of the fact that this was a record and you know you knew that he did most of the instruments on most of something anything and you knew that he did everything on on Hermit. And so when you heard Herman Irving Hollow, you were kind of aware, because it was, you know, written about at the time, that this was a guy making a record all by himself. And, you know, nowadays with a lot of MIDI and things like that, electronic gear, it's not so unusual for somebody to play all the stuff themselves, like Prince did it in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, but even Prince has said, I, I don't have the actual quote, but it, Prince has said that, you know, he, he took a cue from Todd. He thought, wow, I mean, I should do all this myself. And you get a different record that way, right? And so Sounds of the Studio to me is it says to it says to everybody this is not this is not a book about growing up in Pennsylvania. This is not a book about Liv Tyler. This is a book about about the sounds of the studio, you know? Yeah. Well there's and, gotta be some other stuff though. I'm thinking every time I hear about Todd may not every time, but most of the time when you you, you hear stories about Todd producing there's this Theory or a rumor, I guess would be better. It's not a theory that he kicks back and reads the newspaper and all this kind of stuff. Did Did anybody tell you that kind of thing, or was everybody? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. I have a theory on that. I'll tell you. Well, just to recap, what you're saying is, yeah, a great deal of the musicians, especially singers, were at times somewhat either concerned or even even actually put off by the fact that Todd would be reading or he have his feet up on the on the controls while while people are doing their takes. And he would be reading a magazine, quite often a computer magazine uh, or a video uh, installation guide. I think I heard that um, from Ivan Kral about the Patty Smith sessions. He said he was working on his video studio at the time, so he had his video manuals out while they were doing the tracks. And I, I thought about that, and I asked Todd, I said, so, so, you know, do people ever get upset with you about that? And he, 
one of the things he said, and I think this is really honest. I think he's. I don't think he was just saying this, which is, he kind of hears music into, intuitively rather than intellectually. In fact, um, I wouldn't know if he's technically has ADD or not, but he he actually takes in a lot of information. Like, and I think that one of the things he does is actually trains his brain. His uh, I don't know this whole left brain right thing. I always get it confused. He trains the the sort of thinking too much part of his brain on a magazine, but he hears. If something going if something's going weird, he hears it. Mm. So I think people do think, "Wow, you're not paying attention." But I think what it is is he's he's tuning out some of that other part of his brain that might get in the way. He's really he really um, I got the impression from the time I spent talking to him about these records that it kept coming up that he would say he wanted to defeat the intellect. You know, uh, he's a, you know, certainly lyrically he's got intellectual things going on, but I think he felt that the feel was everything. You know. And feel and, and the harmony was everything. And so I think he hears that stuff. So I, I don't know. And really, I don't, I don't come at this with any, like, I'm, I'm only going to write about what a genius Todd is, or I'm only going to write about how difficult he is in the studio. All that stuff's in there, because it's all part of it. And that's sure. the joy and pain of making records, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, well, Orson Welles made Citizen Kane, and I'm sure not everybody had a good time on the set. You know? <laughs> So yeah. I, I don't know if I just compared Todd Runner to, to Orson Welles, but let me can, can I ask um, Paul? Has anyone uh, confessed to you that it was you know it was murder working with Todd, or did they all end up saying, well, yeah, it was hard, but I'm so glad we did, or what? Uh, so far, I think everybody everybody who's actually talked to me has said that it, they are glad they did. I mean, even Andy Partridge, who really? you would have thought, mm-hmm. you know, but Andy Partridge, you know, of course, and you've, you've had him on, so, you know, he, he, he knows that he made a great record, so he's happy he did that. But, um, um, well, I'll just say it. I, I haven't been able to find Fee Wable, and everybody... Oh, that was my next question. <laughs> and people have been intimating to me that there's a reason I haven't been able to find Fee Wable, mm-hmm. so... The other tubes are great. I mean, to to me, I mean, like, I, I don't. Yeah, have you talked about uh, psychedelic first? Say again. Any of the psychedelic oh, the first? first? Yeah. Uh, okay. I I'm about to interview Richard Butler and Tim Butler, hmm. and Vince Eli. Very cool. Okay, but I got I got a firm no from John Ashton. Interesting. Very so, good. Uh, yeah, that's interesting to me too. Well, there's a there's a book about the first, which and I always find this interesting. I mentioned a few times on the show, but uh, apparently. Richard Butler, Love My Way, he was, it was an angry song. And Todd said, you know, you need to think about this completely different and make it more of a, I guess, a love song. And yeah. it turned out to be one of their best songs, I think. And probably, maybe they're arguably their biggest hit, I'm not really sure. But uh, it's definitely one of their more popular songs, and that was a good album. But tying that in, you know, you hear those good stories, and that was a, a pretty good album for the first. But you go back to the tubes. And I, I went to see Hall & Oates Friday night, and I'm thinking about this as well. But you have these bands like Hall & Oates War Babies. You have um, The Tubes, you know, with Love Bomb. You have these albums that just, for whatever reason, it seems like Todd sometimes can be a, a um, bad luck for some people. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I'm not saying it, it's his fault or whose fault no, it is. But I don't I mean, know. Uh, yeah, I mean, that you're talking about the box office poison, they call that. Yeah, but, yeah. what do you think? What's, why is okay, that? I think Todd, I get the impression from, from a few months into this, like, I'm getting the impression that Todd's motives are never 
it's almost like he was commercial by accident. Like, you know, like Meatloaf was hugely commercial as a result of Steinman. But, 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 but Todd knew how to guide that record in. I'm not saying Todd didn't make it a hit. But I'm saying that there was something about that record that it survived. It survived because of the kind of record it was, and it, it hit a bunch of people. And it took a year for that thing to become a hit, too. So, But, you know, it, I think that there's a little bit of, like, Todd, Todd, I don't think, early on he must have been impressed with the idea that he could follow his muse and still have a career. Because a lot of people might have, you know, made concessions. But, I mean, it's weird. Even at the the height of utopia success after Set Me Free, you know, and, you know, Kaz talked about this a little bit, you know, they go and do Deface the Music, which confused everybody, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the video for Set Me Free was, was, you know, based on news events of the day, so and it kind of, something that Neil Young ended up doing later, actually, the same idea of the newscaster talking about the news of the day, but, you know, nobody wanted to see Utopia do that, so it didn't. Did you say Chasm told you that? Kaz told me the stories about about you know, about making commercial uncommercial decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because all, all of what and Kaz, by the way, is another guy who's just amazing to talk to, as you probably know. Oh yeah, very nice. But I talked to him about that a little bit as well. I mean, what about this this change with um, you know all of a sudden you have uh, you know some commercial success, and then all of a sudden you change to this deep face the music. I mean, ultimately, I guess he's still with Todd, so he, he can't be too bitter about it or whatever. I mean. But what 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 is his opinion about that? I mean, was he pro that because he's a musician and he wanted to do that, or is he kind of uh, wish they would have gone a different direction? I'm sorry, are you talking about Chasm? Chasm, yeah. Well, well, I think Chasm is pretty philosophical. I I really didn't get a read on him as being a, a, a somebody who harbored any grudges. I you know he was really straight about it. He said, yeah, you know, it probably wasn't the smartest idea to go to a Beatles sounding record, especially because John Lennon got assassinated around the same time, and it sort of just uh, you know, and I think yeah. I mean, he you know, at one point he 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 left Utopia early on when he joined, you know, because he couldn't handle Todd's sarcasm, and he told me that straight up. And uh, you know, that's when I think they had Doug Howard, I think, right, mm-hmm. I think for a while. I can't I can't quite get Doug that Howard. Thing. Yeah, he was he was with them for a little while. But uh, Cass had already joined at that point, and then he quit like six months to in. do solo. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and then and then the set me free. He said was actually. It's funny because I read an interview where Todd said that Set Me Free was the band saying Set Me Free from our record label, but actually, Cass said it was actually Set Me Free from the management. Like, he wanted to go <laughs> off and, you know, he didn't want to be part of the same management situation. Yeah, so, preach on, brother. Well, it's also, you have, um, there was, Eric, speaking of management, told us that the um, the very last time was about management as well, but about Paul Fishkin kept, you know, Tell him that he needed to do another hello, it's me or something, you know. And he's like, "This is the very last time you're going to get in my face." You know, pretty much told him to quit. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that's what that song's about. So I, I'm going to assume. I don't know. You tell me. Does your book, you know, break down some of the songs and the meanings behind them, or is it more about how the song was made? Well, so far, what's been happening in the research is that we 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 end up sort of getting stories that. Either like especially when talking to Todd because it's so easy for Todd to start going off on a tangent which is a good tangent but he'll be talking about the the atmosphere of making a record and then he'll say this song's about that or like how healing was based on you know theories the whole healing album was based on theories about you know how a certain frequency and and, and a certain certain processes of audio can could could be actually healing 
And so he, he, he wanted to experiment with this idea of creating healing frequencies. By the way, which I was flying to, when I was flying to Hawaii, we got that, there's that steep turbulence that you always get just before Kauai. I read that you actually get it all the time. And uh, I had healing on in my iPod, and uh, I was starting to, I don't get nervous generally, but I got really nervous at this turbulence, and, and I just concentrated on healing part one. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a this sort of mantra quality to it, and I actually I told Todd that it actually works because I it kind of slowed my heart rate down and made me feel a little less because I'm out, you're out of control anyway when you're in a plane, so sure. you, might well just, you might as well just focus on something else. But yeah, he so he invariably gets into some stories about you know talking about um, you know the whole Marlene thing. Yeah, uh, cool. Uh, but 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 also then just as easily we'll break into talking about what it was like to have you know, um, uh, what was called runt recorders up in uh, Astral Drive, you know, mm-hmm. up in the hills of Hollywood, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, then, and then talking about, you know, hanging out at Moogie's place, you know. So yeah. it, it, it's weird. It sort of goes in and out about it's – really, it's really neat because the conversations – and it's going to be a bit of – I'm still, of course, going to be writing it still. I've got most of the interviews done, and now I'm at the place where I'm, I'm really starting to get the, you know, the text going. And, sure. And uh, but one of the things that's the big challenge is to sort of make it into a a narrative that tells a story because there's so many awesome little fragments and I'm interested in all of them. Mm-hmm. But um, where I I guess where I earn my money is is in is much like Todd producing a record. I have to now <laughs> produce a book from all of this. Right, and you got your your music career as well. But the uh, I'm interested in talking some more about healing because that's. Uh, an interesting topic, but if anybody wants to call in, 9646-716-9262, and we do have a caller, so let's go ahead and take that. 561, you're Can I just say, before you start taking calls, I just want to make an announcement that I think it would be really cool, since, um, since you know, the Todd fans are probably going to be the most interested in this book, mm-hmm. and since it's not finished yet, it would be great to know if there's an area that you want me to go get more information about, or something that, you know, that I might not have even thought of, you know, because, mm. I mean, I... I got so many things going on in my head, so it might be good to know what people want. How would you want them to get in touch with you? Well, maybe they could even call in mm. right now. <laughs> Very good. Well, we got a caller five six one. I think that's Florida. Am I right? Five six one. Yeah. Hey, how you doing, guys? Good. Hey. And Mel. Hi, Mel. Hi. Hi. Uh, hey, uh, I wanted to ask the. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, about you writing this book. Um, do you know anything about the? Uh, when this record uh, reconstructed, did Todd Rundgren have anything to do with that whatsoever? Do you know? You talking about that was re- where they did all the remixes of Todd. They, did he lend out the masters? How did that work? Well, you know, so far I haven't gotten anything on that. I mean, that, are you talking about the Toddzilla thing? The- I'm talking about reconstructed, where it was like right, right. right. Yeah, because it was like it was kind of like they took the master vocals and they put it over like uh, some of it was hip hop, some of it was uh, just different mixes. Yeah, I I didn't get anything because we we I talked to Todd for about twenty about fifteen hours over four days, and uh-huh. uh, you know in between watching like we'd have to stop to watch TV because there'd be like uh, he's a huge Bill Maher fan and stuff like that. So <laughs> so it's kind of like. The through line. Okay. Uh, some of those, some of those secondary projects we didn't get yet, but I could go find some stuff about that. I, no, I, I was just I curious because there's a uh, recording on there of uh, where they took the vocals from 
bang on the drum all day, and they put it over this real salsa merengue kind of uh, song. It was like, it was really bizarre, but it sounds so cool. In fact, when I DJ, a lot of times I use it. <laughs> you know, I think but, it was uh, actually officially licensed because I just realized that, because that record actually actually is available on Amazon. Uh-huh. So, so the, the fact that it's available on Amazon kind of gives it a little bit of credibility. The question is whether Todd, whether it was just sort of licensed after the fact or whether they contacted him originally to get the master. Yeah, yeah my question is if he had anything to do with it or anything like that. But. I don't think he did have anything to do with the actual mixes. Uh-huh. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure he doesn't, actually. But I think the question would be whether access was granted. I'm going to find that out because... I would love to find out if, if uh, like the Motown Remix project that came out a few years ago, Motown let the vaults go to these DJs. But but then, of course, you've got mashup artists all over the world now who know how to remove what they need from a track, you know. And Yeah, that's true, that's true. Yeah. And, and so, like, you know, there's some great mashup guys like the Go Home Productions in England. They do these great things, and they don't get any authorization at all, and, you know. Uh-huh. And then there was, that, of course, that uh, Danger Mouse record that came out, the, 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 the Black Album with... Uh, uh, Jay Z and uh, the Beatles together, and that was unauthorized, and of course it got shut down. But this, the fact that this is commercially available means that it, at least at some point, um, the people who own the masters are probably getting paid, which yeah, means yeah, either in the form of a license or some kind of thing. And the, the cover looks to be very similar to the TR Connection, so I'm wondering if uh, yeah. I, I have another question too, if you don't mind. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I with regard to the Bazville Studio, since you're talking about Sounds of the Studio, which, by the way, is just a killer name for a book about Todd Rundgren. <laughs> thanks, thanks. And uh, I don't really know the story about. Was there a fire somewhere in Todd's career or something like that? Yeah, but that wasn't ever? his studio. That wasn't his studio. That was um, the original. Uh, at Bearsville, there was a there was a studio there that that uh-huh. um, I'm pretty sure if I haven't got my story, you know, someone out there if you know, I believe it was the it might have been the Bearsville Theater. Well, Wizard of True Star, the original master copy was was burned. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. Yep. Yeah, and was that was it being stored in the old Bearsville studio when it I'm was? Not sure burned? where it was, but I did read that because that's why I'm, you know it's not the clearest recording of all Todd's albums, but. Uh, you know, it's, hmm. it's, uh, the, the originals are gone. Wow, because the reason I ask is because I saw Todd um, in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale, and I have this book. Uh, it's called The Encyclopedia, uh, in, what is it? The Encyclopedia of Guitars. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of him playing a Valeno guitar from the Raw Tour. And uh, I asked Todd if he would, you know, sign the page for me. And he was like, uh, is this a new book? And I, I said, yeah, it's relatively new. And uh, he's like, they all got burned up. <laughs> and that's what he said. <laughs> well, hey, uh, five, six, yeah, one, yeah, yeah. So a lot of stuff was stored there. That's true. That's right. Uh, it, was, it wasn't the, but it wasn't the, I don't, I'm pretty sure it wasn't the Herman and Mink Hollow studio, like the, the actual studio that he recorded all that stuff in. Uh, I think it was the studio just before that, which was owned by uh, Albert Grossman's company. Yeah. Hey, Paul, what you got to okay. say is wait till the book comes out. Hey, hey, hey thanks a lot. I appreciate your time, guys. Hey, what what is is this? this is the stuff. This is the stuff that I can fine tune in time for the book, actually. Yeah. That's, 
Yeah, well, I look forward to it. Well, one other question about the book. Will there be some, like, cool photos in there? We're hoping. I'm talking with, um, right now I'm talking with Bob Gruen, Lynn Goldsmith, and uh, Gene Lannon, who are all, oh. like, they all have huge catalogs of Todd stuff. And then I'm asking a lot of the artists involved if they have their own personal photographs, because I want, what I want is inside the studio photographs. So, yeah, we're definitely going to get some great photos. Yeah, all right, uh, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, 561, hold on a sec, man. The girls, uh, you must have a sexy voice or something because they're all asking us in the chat room what your name is. Who, me? Oh, I'm yeah. John. John. Snappy. They call me Snappy. Whenever I do my reviews on the TR Connection, and, um, my nickname used to be Snappy, so I always write John Snappy Harris. All right, cool. All right, Snappy, thanks for calling me, man. Good questions. All right, take care, guys. You right. can also be a Kaz Sultan impersonator, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I thought for a minute it was Kaz with a trick yeah. voice, but yeah, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. I expected it to snap us. Snap us. Speaking of photos, you know, Ed McCarthy, I don't know if he has studio photos. We'll have to ask him, but we had him on. He, he's taken a ton of, picture of, um, ton of pictures of Todd. I was going to um, ask you, speaking of photos, what's the cover photo? Do you know yet? No, I don't. Okay. Also, I got some news that uh, I need to get my story straight in case you put it in the book. Um, Paul Fishkin, this very last time, he was giving Todd grief about wanting him to write a song like Boston or Foreigner. So the song, the very last time, is a parody of both bands. The songs feels like the first time and more than a feeling. Oh. So those are the facts versus my terrible interpretation of what actually was. <laughs> At least I got Paul Fishkin right. But, uh, yeah, so very last time, which is a very good song, by the way. But um, that's the story on that one. And you don't know the cover photo, but somebody in our chat room wanted to know about the hermit period, if you've been able to get information on that, and if that was a, quote, isolated time, I guess, in Todd's career. Yeah, yeah, I guess it was in, in a sense that he was literally isolated. He uh, he uh, was basically the hermit. I mean, the, the you know, he has a concept for every album, and that one he said, you know, it's about spending time alone. And uh, and I remember asking, I, 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 was, I was very curious, because I always thought, okay, he probably laid down a click track and then played the drums and stuff like that. He said, no, seriously, he just got in there, played the drums alone with nobody else around, no click track, nothing to play to, just played the songs the way he heard them in his head, went in and meticulously added everything, so the album's 100% the work of a guy by himself. And the best thing about that record is it doesn't matter if, he, if you know he played everything himself, you know? That's <laughs> just and, a great and, record, period. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what a good one. Yeah. And I don't think it's any secret that, you know, he, he, he sort of talked about the, the, the power of, um, let's just say it was 420 yesterday. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, the, the power of the sweet leaf in his world uh, really helped him tune out and focus in. That thing I was talking about before where he, I think he, I think he really likes to defeat part of his brain to get to the up, to get to the the sweet part, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, and I say that with all due respect. Oh, I'm sure, absolutely. But yeah, that was oh. actually one of the more popular album choices when we we did a few polls to see what people would want to see as an album show because Eric had mentioned he'd like to know, and Hermit was. I, I don't know, Chris. May you tell me? I would say it was clearly in second place, huh? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I have a question about well. His solo albums in general, where he plays everything. Did you happen to ask him? So, Todd, which instrument do you start with? You know, which track do you do first? Yeah, I did actually, and I can tell you that um, it's pretty clear if it's if it's a piano song without drums, they're obviously going to be a piano first, and for the most part, it's drums. 
everything starts with the drums, and that includes, of course, the stuff with drum machines. Uh, he just basically he he thinks like a drummer, and he he builds his tracks from drums up, and then. But the 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 irony is he's a, he's actually a guitar player, yeah. and then the further irony is that he's he's uh, his real genius I think is in vocal arrangements, like uh, like yeah. he, that's his albums. signature his signature and he he talked a lot about um, I don't know what they call this but when when you match up syllables and and s's and t's in a backing vocal section so he's layering all these voices of his own, and so he'll go like you know hell or something like that and it, the o's are all matching up and then if something's like you know a t happens at a certain place it's exactly the same spot every time and 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 he's like that with his with the bands he works with you can really hear it clearly on the vocal arrangements on remote control for instance the tubes album which i think is great uh remote control should have been should have been the one that <laughs> there's a lot of that should have been I, mean, I was listening to War no, Baby but that one but that one I have no excuse for Love Bomb yeah. was all over the place yeah. but but Remote Control it just it had singles it had hits in my mind mm. <laughs> you know like a lot of, of the records you can see like you know <laughs> like War Baby is a yeah. great record but I, I could see why it didn't connect at the time yeah it's really good we listened to it on the way back and you know we didn't hear any of it but at the show but it's, it's if you listen to it it's a fantastic album and uh I, I um, I'm not sure this is studio related, but it kind of is because I think some studio equipment was stolen. But I'm not really. I know a little bit about it, and I've, I've heard things about it. But did you talk any about when Todd was uh, uh, allegedly tied up and robbed? Yeah, we did actually. It kind of came up in a backhanded way. Like I said, so often there's very few places in the story where I think a personal a personal background is really going to matter. To this, but in this case, it did. Uh, he and uh, Bean were alone in uh, Woodstock, and uh, uh, Todd described them as, you know, uh, cokehead robbers came in, and they were really disorganized, and they had assumed that Todd was a, a rock star. I mean, he was a rock star, but they assumed that he would be like uh, in Boogie Nights or something, like a pile of coke on the table and money everywhere, and you know, like making it rain with dollar bills. You know, it was it was not the way Todd was living. And so they, they, they burst in, and I think Bean was pregnant at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it was really Keystone cops. Like, they really didn't have their, their stuff together at all. And they just they kept saying, where's the money, where's the money? Apparently they hit Todd in the head. With uh, what? Uh, I, I maybe pistol whipped him, I'm not sure. Really? Wow. Yeah, it was gunpoint for yeah. sure. So I think they did actually hit him with the gun. Damn. And uh, he said, honest to God, I got no money here, got nothing. So then they 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 kind of panicked. They thought oh, they hadn't cased it out properly, and I guess they panicked, and they tied Todd up with uh, and Bean up with electrical cord from like a lamp, hmm. and it was you know kind of the um, like they didn't even think that through because it's so easy to stretch it out, you know. Like they just you know they really they and as after they tied him up, they grabbed um, and uh, this was kind of significant. They grabbed a guitar amongst a couple other things, but. One of the guitars they grabbed was his custom-made Alembic. Do you know about this story? No. Okay, well, you know. Please share. Well, yeah, and there's more in the book, I swear, but I love telling this one. (laughs) So the Alembic, as it turns out, you know the really bright guitar on Determination? You know, really brittle-sounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love the song. And I think he also used it on Healing. Mm -hmm. If I'm not mistaken, I want to make sure I got my chronology right. Okay. Uh, Which I can verify by the time the book's out, but the... Um, very bright guitar, and I think he, I think he may have even had Cheap Trick use it on Next Position, please, because there's some very bright guitars on there too. That guitar gets stolen, and 
it's an alembic. An alembic has this thing where they custom make guitars, and the serial numbers are very they're very good about tracking things when they're stolen. So ah. they show up on shops. Mm-hmm. But it took forever. But eventually, he was reunited with the guitar because somebody had had it up for sale, and they figure it wasn't even the guy who stole it. Like it was just right. it had gone from place to place. And he said the guitar had like burn marks on it, like it had been through a fire. Like it had been not the fire, but a, a, another fire, and it was. He said it was just a remarkable story. Like that, the eventually that guitar did end up getting brought back to him. I don't know if it was playable anymore. I think the strings had rusted off or something. It was like, it was one of those things where he told me like the kind of amazing thing about the Alembic company is that they they sort of like Saturn, I guess they they really uh, they go to the wall <laughs> for their customers. You know, they don't quite yeah. have conventions like Saturn did. Well, well the the story goes that they were whistling or singing one of his hit songs like I saw the light or something. Is that did he say anything about that? Well, you know, it may it may have something he may have said that to an earlier interview. He didn't bring that up to me and I I haven't read that in Billy James's book or anything, but uh I don't know if Billy James covers that in his book, but uh but I haven't heard that. But uh it, I actually got the feeling from Todd, maybe Todd is he humble about this or something, but I got the feeling they didn't know which particular rock star he was. Like or maybe Todd, maybe Todd just left that out. But they, uh, Todd didn't seem to indicate to me that they knew much about him. Okay. And they sort of assumed they knew they knew there was a rock star in the neighborhood. I guess there had been a few places up in Woodstock where sure. musicians lived, mm-hmm. and so these guys had just were just like going from place to place. Apparently, they'd robbed other places. Did they ever get caught? And, did they ever find him? Do you know? Did he talk about that? They didn't say that again. Did they get caught? No, I don't think they did. I think the guitar, like I said. The guitar got pawned, I think, and fenced, or whatever they call it. And I think it eventually the guitar got tracked, but the people were long gone, you know. But um, if you know of anybody involved in the robbery, <laughs> <or> <laughs> hey. you, we're gonna we're gonna find the killers. Yeah, yeah Paul, I like John Walsh. Be like John Walsh for Todd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, most if, wanted. If anyone <laughs> listening to this show would know that information, it would be such a hero. We would yeah, love to have We would pistol whip them. And tar and feather those sons of bitches. I could interview them for the book, and then it'd yeah. be like, you know, you know, you know. Uh, Why did you burn guys, his guitar? Yeah. You know, Jeff, uh, not his real name, picks up the story. You know, yeah. and then you know, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I, the thing that impressed me or made a strong impression on me, I'm saying, is that the thought of Todd and a pregnant uh, and Bean, who was pregnant, like, like having to have somebody break into their place and pistol whip Todd and tie them up. I mean. That just to me is that's just so horrendous. Especially yeah, when you think about it had to be terrifying. You know, sure. All we're you know all we're doing here is we're trying to make music and you know and somebody does something like that. It's it's uh, I I hesitate to say it because I sound like a hippie, but it's such bad karma, man. Yeah, and uh, luckily you know nothing really bad happened out of it. And, and well, luckily, yeah. That's but yeah, that's some good information. It's good information we didn't know. I was. Gonna go away from the robbery and ask you about the albums because you mentioned Hermit, which is one of my favorites and one of the yeah. Todd albums I listened to for years before I got into some of the um, I would say uh, more different albums such as A Wizard and With a Twist, and it's such a great album. And I got to think, as a musician and as a fan of Todd's, have you caught yourself as a writer? leaning a little bit more towards certain albums with your information and your request for information, or have you been able to reel that in and keep everything yeah, equal? Yeah, I mean, it was actually kind of embarrassing because I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to have to talk to Todd, and he knows it, again, to get some other stuff because 
on the last day, it occurred to me, like we were doing it every day for about three hours, maybe four sometimes. And then actually Todd stopped. It was kind of nice. He was a really great host. He lent me his car for the week and, and uh, you know, put me up at the guest house and everything. But then, he, and he also cooked. I mean, yeah. a couple of times, he like he made, you know, awesome noodles and and uh, some uh, stir fry out of uh, kind of Ooh. I think a Trader Joe's. What, what kind of car is it? Is it that yellow wild looking car? Or is it... No, it was like it was just a red, uh, red compact car. I think it was, a, it was rented. Yeah, to Todd's yeah. talk, there was some kind of fancy hot rod car I got in. Oh no, no, I uh, I wasn't okay. driving the Eliminator car from the ZZ Top video or anything. But, <laughs> but, That's uh, what it looked like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I do my ZZ Top book, I'm sure they'll give me the keys to that because that's what they do, right? Yeah. But uh, but uh, no, so so but anyway, so Top was great. But we'd stop and we'd like it was actually kind of funny because I didn't know what to expect and I I had imagined I I'm gonna answer your question by the way. Uh, I had imagined it was gonna be either either like uh, like really serious or it was gonna end up being like Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. Like that was my <laughs> my I told my wife that I said it's like I'm going into the jungle to meet Kurtz. You know, like and. Like, I don't know if you guys know, if everyone out there knows Apocalypse Now, but, like, the whole idea, I was Captain Willard in Apocalypse Now going in to meet Marlon Brando. I didn't know if he was going to be, like, you know, if it was going to be hard, if it was going to be weird, or if he's, like, so smart, I thought maybe he would, like, throw intellectual tests at me. I didn't know, you know. And then it turns out he's, like, an awesome host, really casual. He'd say, like, 7 o'clock, we're going to watch uh, Will – he's going to watch Will Ferrell do that President Bush thing, mm-hmm. so HBO. And so he's saying we have to stop at 7 to watch that. And so I'm like, sure, whatever. <laughs> that thing was kind of a bust. Well, yeah, it was kind of funny, though, because, like, I like comedy. I like political humor. So it was, like, it was fun to sort of watch Bill Maher with him, you know. And, and oh, yeah. So yeah there's where the fan, this is to answer your question, though. There's where the fan thing kicked in where I was like, I was like, journalist, journalist, journalist. And then suddenly it's like, boy, I should call, call myself when I was 16 to tell him that someday you're just going to sit there watching TV with Todd Rundgren. And, <laughs> and so I got kind of fanny, but I did, uh, fan-like. But I didn't want to yeah. be... I didn't want to be that, like, because I, I got a lot of work to do with this thing, so I wanted to be a pro. But, you know, sure. you got to say, like I did. I said, okay, i got to tell you, uh, Todd, that my wife, before I even met her, she, t- she told me that before she even met me, she had uh, Hermit of Mink Hollow on green vinyl. And uh, <laughs> when we were first going out, it was one of those things where, you know, oh, wow, I had that on green vinyl, too. You know, and, it, and, and, you know, I'm sure Todd hears that a million times, but he was nice about it. But it was like it, I was sort of making my little, uh, what do you call it, you know, my little fan tribute to him at the time. But then I said, I, so I talk about Hermit a lot. And then as we're leaving on the last day, it was the last day, and I knew I hadn't got everything yet. And I said, I'm going to have to talk to you again at some point, but let's try and get a lot of it done today. So I'm whipping through suddenly. I'm whipping through the individualist, and I'm whipping through some of the stuff that – I gotta be honest. I had tuned out for a while. I told Todd, you know, and then I had gone back since, and I actually appreciate what I was missing, right? But like, I, I, I hadn't really gotten the uh, what, um, what's the compilation? A uh, one long year. I had not really been sort of picking up all those things and got busy with my own thing and other things, and and uh, you know, to my chagrin, and I'm being, I'm, you know. Uh, if I'm a bad person for that, whatever. You know, but you know what I mean. But here I am writing the book, so I've got to know these things, right? Well, one like, long year too like would be your a... first caller. Your first caller mentioned that reconstructed thing. I don't even have that right yeah, now. Awful. I don't even have that. Like, don't I get it. That. It's not important. Well, that's what it's sort of. So one of the things, for instance, we're talking about one long year. He brought it up, and I didn't. And I was, I was a little embarrassed. I said, "Oh, yeah, sorry." Sorry, I don't really know one long year so well. Like I'm telling Todd Runger this, you know, and so, but he's telling me about it, and he told me, and I sort of apologized. I said, "Well, 
Like I feel like it's a compilation, so it's not really kind of one one of the. But studio that's that's, records. that's probably though. I mean, I don't know how you how you put it in your book, but to me that album is a good story because it's it's forget the music part of it. Although I do like it, it's you know it's the first really maybe possibly the first serious. Hey, I'm going to send you music on the internet. You know, if oh, you yeah, join yeah. my club, I mean that that is that is an album that was created because of uh, a, a agreement he had with fans to send them, you know, downloadable music. I mean, that's what the, all those songs are. Yeah, the patronet thing, right? The yeah. Patronet. Yeah. No, no, and I, I actually appreciate that. And, and we talked a little bit about patronet in terms of, we didn't talk enough about it, but in terms of it being like the model for, you know, Prince later did it with the uh, uh, New Power Generation Music Club, whatever it was called. Yeah. And 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 then nobody really seemed to know how to make it work until I guess recently, the internet sort of changed a little bit in the last few years, mm-hmm. and and it was it was I guess broadband I think that's what happens he got he got into the whole idea of selling his music online before broadband had really reached everyone. Sure. Oh yeah, he's way ahead of the curve on that, and then all of a sudden it took off with Napster and everything, which. Ironically, he wears Napster T-shirts at a lot of his gigs, but um, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the that reminds me, one long year, one of my favorite songs on there, I love Buffalo Grass, of course, but the uh, Mary and the Holy Ghost, instrumental songs, when I look at A Wizard of True Star too, Tick, 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 and Flamingo, I love these instrumentals. Did y'all talk about him doing those versus, you know, a song where he's actually uh, going to sing in it and, and his thoughts on those? Was there any kind of well, information on that? I'm sure you know this because you've talked to these guys and Todd and everybody, but one of the things that... Um, was surprising to me was Todd said a lot of the songs start out as instrumentals. They're pretty much everything, sure. especially in, uh, when he was working with Siegler and Wilcox and those guys. They would jam out the stuff, and then you know, or Todd would layer something, create it all, all on his own, and then he'd figure out. He may have already known what the melody is going to be, but he had no idea what the song was going to be or not. Mm-hmm. And and you know, sometimes it depends. Like he, he you know he write a song like I saw the light because he wanted to be like a Tin Pan Alley, like, top 40 songwriter, and he'd sort of say, okay, I'm going to write a hit song, mm-hmm. you know, but, but uh, so a lot of the stuff on those albums, like Wizard and the, the Todd album, which I think are kind of, sort of of a piece, because they, they, they sort of have the same, mm-hmm. it started on something, anything, the scattershot approach of editing, so editing was really important, so a thing like Breathless, you know, from yeah. something, anything. And uh, yeah, tick tick, you know, like those, those things are but, like. Uh, I, and I'll probably get killed for this or, or, or um, criticized for this. Don't get killed. But yeah, I don't want to get killed for it. The Todd fans are crazy though. Trust me. The Todd album, to me, and I'm not. Of course, I say this all the time. I should probably say it too much. I'm not the musical genius. I really think that if you did that album today, with newer technology it would be a lot better. And I think that when he performs like Lowest Common Denominator live, yeah. it's ten times better than that album. That's me. I mean, I maybe yeah, you know, maybe other people like it different. But that album to me seems dated compared to the technology today. And if you took – those songs are all great, but if you took them now and put them on a different system, I think they would be a lot better. You agree well, or that's, disagree? That's, uh, I, well, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's, hard, it's a hard one because – you're basically saying something that happened in a moment where it was happening. Mm-hmm. You would want it to happen in a different moment, and I, I don't know. This, 
I understand what you're saying, and especially because we do have live versions of things. Like I think, for instance, uh, I think it's Love of the Common Man uh, when it was recorded. I find there's been better live versions of that song mm-hmm. uh, than the than the Utopia version. They're probably like, doing it right now. I'm, I'm not talking about I'm not I'm yeah. talking about Todd's live right. version as opposed to like England Dan, although. The England Dan version, I I actually quite like, but that's just me. But uh, but you know stuff where Kaz where Kaz was singing on a on a version, and Kaz had that great high end voice that filled out. You know they all had the great harmonies in U- that Utopia that lineup of Utopia. Yeah. And I remember thinking the Back to the Bars versions were pretty good, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff that was on Somewhere Anywhere. If you've heard Back that. to the Bars, you know, get your crazy metal started if you start talking about that. We'll be here all night. Hey. Uh, why? Yeah, she loves it. It's great stuff. I mean, how can you not like Back to the Bars? Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing about Back to the Bars is because it's a live album, I'm not dwelling on it so much in my book. I, I had to make yeah. some rules. I, I, I think that's, yeah, I like that too because we, we did a, a poll of what were the best songs off each album. We left out the live albums because they're just repeats uh, in a sense of, of the main albums. But uh, but I recently decided to, to include another live because it technically is a, it's a live album, but it was technically the second Utopia record. You know, and 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 there, it's live, but there's a lot on there that's very unique, and it kind of counts. And it, well, let's put it this way: we're not the first. The, the structure as it stands now is I'm kind of just going to have a big front end Todd section where, if he mentions certain things in the context of the time, then we'll go into it. So as it turns out, a lot of people who I've interviewed, like Siegler and Wilcox and Roger and uh, Kevin Elman, I don't think was on that one. Um, but um, people end up talking about another live. So I thought, well, yeah, you know, it's not really a live. I mean, it's a live album, but it's not really like the way people do best of greatest hits albums. Right. Whereas Back to the Bars is that kind of record. Mm-hmm. Although it's great. I mean, it's, you know, um, I can't wait actually to hear what, like Daryl Hall might talk about that because I'm, I'm scheduled to interview Daryl. And he, apparently he sent word to me through his rep that he's very excited or happy to talk about uh, War Babies, which... Um, that'll be great for me because I, I, yeah, I've been dying to. I mean, everybody else has talked. Siegler talked to me about that. Wilcox talked to me about that, and uh, I just need to get. To, and Todd talked about it quite a bit. Um, so I'm very excited about those. The coming up is Daryl Hall. I'm going to talk to, and I'm going to New York to talk to Patty. Are you going to talk uh, to John at all, John Oates? Yeah, John Oates as well. Uh, I the way I'm doing it is uh, I'm talking to Daryl first. And then John is going to be talking to me after that, I think. I, we haven't quite nailed down when John's going to talk oh, hey, Well, speaking of John, we, we are looking good for getting him on the show here, so that'll be fun. Apparently he's a great guy. Yeah, I'm so sure. I've heard, I've, heard, I've heard he's a really smart guy, and he really likes talking about music and mm-hmm. stuff. So, and Daryl Hall, by the way, if I may, I don't know if your your listeners and, and you have been watching the Darryl, Live from Daryl's House mm-hmm. uh, on the web. Michelle did an article about it, and we yeah. mentioned it here. It's sent the link, and it's uh, you know I think it's only available online. But she did a real nice interview with Daryl talking about this show, and it's I read very that nice. on audio, yeah, yeah. And actually, I talked to her uh, at their San Francisco place because I I'm in Berkeley, which is real close. It's actually cool because um, Michelle was awesome, really great host, and she was telling me a lot of stuff about uh, you know having you know the nearly human sessions and sure and. Uh, I'm getting a lot of people from the Nearly Human Sessions because I'm in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's easy to, it's <laughs> Good, easier that's a great album. Yeah. But what, it's, well, you know, what was weird is I'd never met Rebop, right? And he's an awesome kid. Yeah. Uh, and he walks in, and of course, I, like, I told him this. I said, you know, dude, you look so much like your dad. It's freaking me out. But he's a musician, too, and he's a great guy. And I, ho- I hope he gets a chance to make his own music in his own way without a lot of, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, like the Julian Lennon thing. You I know, think like, that's his plan. Yeah, I think yeah. that's his plan. I was thinking, I, I told him to check out uh, Danny Harrison, George Harrison's kid, because mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's kind of his own guy, and yet he looks a lot like his dad. So, sure. But he, he makes his own music that's his own thing. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I don't know, I, just, I, I felt like, uh, I felt like uh, Reebok was cool. I, really, I thought he was a cool kid. Uh, but what was, what was my point? Oh, so we're talking about the Nearly Human sessions, and I was about to tell you, ah, whatever. I, this is me. I'm a <laughs> nearly Human. Nearly Literally, human I have all these show. records in front of me. Yeah, we could go on that for a whole show. That is such a um, you know a great time period for Todd fans and for the for the album and everything. Hey, listen, guys, we're gonna take a break right quick uh, because I think this is Love of the Common Man live. I don't know if it's gonna be good. If it's not, I'll mute it. If it is, just check it out. Here we go. <laughs> All right, that's actually just one victory, that's I can tell. Victory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Grady's a day late dollar short. He was supposed to call me if uh, Love of the Common Man comes on, so I think he's a little bit. Maybe he did, and I wouldn't look at the switchboard. I've but got anyway. a question. Hey, Paul. Have you oh, seen hi. any of the current arena tour? I have not, and uh, I, uh, saw the, I saw a little bit of uh, an excerpt from the uh, HDNet uh, broadcast, which Todd told me was fraught with. <laughs> he said it was fraught with uh, production problems from his end that he didn't like. So, but yeah, I, I can I just tell you a little quickly. With I know I, ta- I talk too much, but um, <laughs> no, we're uh, good. I had signed. I had I got Todd's okay to do this book right around Todd's doc. And I was in, I was here, I wasn't there, and I called him, at, and he had just, I guess, finished Todd's talk, and I was heading out to Africa for the first time in my life with my wife. We went to Tanzania, and they were about to come here, and he said, well, why don't we talk about this when I'm in San Francisco? And I said, um, uh, I won't be here. And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'll miss this one, and I'll catch it again. And then uh, my friend John, who I, I, I'm playing in a band called the, well, it's a, we're, we're recording together at a band called the Paul and John. And my friend John went to the show, and he's like, dude, you missed, like, a great rock show at the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco. And so I was kind of kicking myself that I missed the arena <laughs> tour. But why, why, did you have a question about that? No, yeah. I was just curious, and I didn't know if you'd actually t- uh, spoken to Todd about recording arena. I mean, he's kind of gone on the record with Oh, the- oh no, we talked about recording the album. Of course. Yeah, I, yeah. I missed the live show. I missed the live show. But, like, I actually, to be honest, uh, I, I'm going to be controversial. I'm going to say I thought the album was great, but I feel like when I saw like what I saw on Letterman doing Strike, I thought, boy, it's too bad that they didn't just record that. Like yeah. record the. I mean, I'm sure the is there a live? Well, there's a live. Well, uh, no, there's, no, but, no, there's not a live version of the bootlegs and HDNet. Yeah, but you know, you could, you could the, put out the, a live concert uh, yeah. of that. Well, the controversy, uh, if you want to call it that, I mean, the, the complaints are. I mean, I personally like, I think most people do, but the um, I, I'm not a musician, so I'm going to use the term fake drums. Yeah. People don't like that. Well, I thought the fake drums sounded real. Uh, when I first heard it, I thought maybe he had gotten Prairie in on the session, but then I noticed when I heard, once I knew it was it was loops and stuff and programming, yeah. I, I then recognized some of the sounds. But yeah. for the most part, I didn't, I didn't miss any drums when I listened to it unbiasedly. Mm-hmm. But then there's that thing when you're told that there's Once no you're problem. told, exactly. People would just be quiet. It's like a spoiler because now you know. You hear these songs, you know, and, and you... Yeah, you but then having said that, when I, did see, 
but when I did see the Letterman version of Strike, and you've got Kaz up there playing with, you know, with Rachel, with uh, Prairie, and you know, and Jesse, and it it really comes to life. Oh, it's, to- it's so much. It, that's and that's kind of my point on the Todd album. It's so much better live. A couple of his albums just are so much better live to me. Yeah. And, and um, Arena is one of them. Now I like Arena. Yeah. You go live and you hear some mercenary. I mean, it's just for me, it's unbelievable. I love it. But and everybody's got their own thing. I found a version of Soul Brother on YouTube where he did it on Letterman with. Uh, oh Fogel. yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah and, and that was cool. I mean, even though I thought like when I heard the the record, I didn't know that that was. I mean, I think I did know actually. Well, but Soul Brother though, and I don't know if it was on the Letterman show, but when they were doing it a couple years ago, no keyboards. And it was really cool how they, you know, they turned it into just a guitar deal, and it, it really sounded neat. It was just totally yeah, different. Cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun with that stuff. Todd's always, uh, you know, coming up with something creative. But I want to go back because we only got about 15 minutes left, believe it or not. Time flies on these shows. I got a I couple. I talk a lot. Uh, but did. I'm going to let Cruz Mel go first because I'll hog your time. Go ahead, Cruz Mel. <laughs> <laughs> By the well, way, do I address you as Cruz Mel or Mel? Oh, it's actually, it's actually Mel, but Doug loves to call me by my email name, so whatever. I well, see. Well, should we give him the other one that we came up with in Birmingham? No. Okay. No. Let me ask my question. <laughs> yeah, go. See, I have two questions. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask one of the questions that came up in the chat room from OC Sherry. She wants to know if Todd said anything to you about uh, his thoughts on how Todd stock went. Mm. Oh, he said it was really awesome, and he described it. He described it that, – that's not actually going to be in the book so much because it's kind of just a, a thing. But he described it to me because I said, how'd that go? You know, like, you know, how was it to have all those guests at your house, for instance? And he said that everyone was – he said his fans – and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to a thing where fans are listening. But he said his fans – and you guys know this – his fans have a kind of a thing where they're very respectful. And Michelle was very impressed, for instance, that people uh, heeded the don't publish uh, photographs until we've had a chance to check them out thing. And for the mm-hmm. most part, people don't. You know, people respect the the Rundgren's privacy. And, they sure did. And he he also said that you know he had to have boundaries for himself because he, he you know in a situation like that. So he came he came as you guys would know because I wasn't there. He came and went and made made times where he was available. And he said it was um it was a combination just you know people staying over. And he also described it a little bit though because the record was coming out as a bit of a trade show like a a, a chance to. Uh, the, the, he was sort of kidding, but the way the way people have those retreats for corporate retreats for, when they're about to launch a new product, <laughs> because he figures who who who's who's better to put the word out about the new record than yeah, the people no, who are. It, it wasn't like all. that at all. Yeah, and he so he felt. I think he you know more than a lot of artists, and that's something that will come up in the book. He honestly seems to be the kind of guy who really understands that his fans are the ones who don't go away when he's off the charts and. You know, that whole term relevance comes back every so often because I remember him saying that the liars had gotten all these great reviews and it was like kind of a neat feeling to be, he said, relevant. And I'm like, well, when were you irrelevant, you know? But I guess what he means is, you know, in the public mainstream thing. And the guys who are there all the time are the fans. And the guys who, are, who will, you know, they, they can be really hard on him sometimes too because they, there's a certain ownership that comes with being a fan. But he was very clear about that his fans seem to have a kind of a covenant of respect. And I think that that... That impressed me that he was impressed with that. You know? Well, it's kind of, to me, it's like um, it's like Apple versus IBM. It's the philosophy of quality versus quantity. So you can put out a computer for cheap, compact IBM, and you can get tons of sales. Or you can be like Apple and have this really, 
you know, quality computer that's leap years ahead of the IBM computer, but you're going to have a smaller audience because you're charging more. That's why, you know, they have it. But ultimately, if you if you know the difference, the Apple computer is so far superior to IBM, but most people have IBM. And Todd's is kind of the, the same way. It's like, okay, he's not out there. He doesn't have hits like Britney Spears and some of these other people, Justin Timberlake, whoever. But his music quality is so much better. It's not, but for whatever reason, it's just not as commercial. And you know, that's just that's just how he does it. And what that does, though, is it builds loyalty with his fans. The ones that he does that he does have that have stuck with him this whole time are very, very loyal. As a matter of fact, I would argue they're more loyal than any other type of band or artist. And it may not be as large a quantity, but as far as the strength of that group, it's much stronger than what you would see with a band that has a bunch of following that, you know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, we like this music, we'll come see it. But it's, it's a totally different experience. It's hard to explain. It's totally No, different. but I, I think, no, it's true. And it, like, like I said, I think this answers the question before about commerciality in terms of Todd producing other people, too. I think he's not the guy to go to if you want a surefire hit record because yes. he's not working on that level. Right. He's working on feel. And I think that... I think he's uh, the irony is his 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 own melodic choices are very pop, and he's very like you know when he writes a song like couldn't I just tell you it's it's a pop song but but then you know the pop charts of the day might not always be in sync with his it's not like he's writing atonal you know uh, dirge music although I think the the fascist Christ era was probably the most challenging era for people to get back on board with him but. Yeah. I personally find that that track is a great track. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, it takes a while. And, but and, that's what I'm saying. Like you know, yeah. you're certainly not gonna, you're not gonna like. Uh, he, he doesn't go broad, you know. And yeah. and and at the same time, though, I think that like this new New York Dolls record, it'll be interesting yeah. to see how people react because it's it's kind of like vintage, uh, you know, grand funk era. Um, Todd as rock producer. You know? well, That's what I said in my review. It's like it, it returned to Todd as rock producer. Right. But but it's still, I mean, that's the funny thing about Todd's producing albums is that he gets a lot of attention. When you know, I couldn't tell you, I've got you know hundreds of CDs. I could care less who the producer is. But when Todd's a producer, all of a sudden it's an issue. You know, people want to know, people want to talk about it. But it's ultimately it's a New York Dolls album. I mean, it's their music, it's their singing. Yeah. You know, it's it's. But with Todd. The fans, that's how hardcore they are. They're interested in what's going on with that band only because Todd's producing it, in a lot of cases. No, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, but and by the way, having said that, you know, this is an interesting little point to go out on in terms of um, the book. Um, I know that, you know, you know, when you talk to a book company, you say you're doing a book about Todd Rundgren, the people who are <laughs> publishing this book are, they're Todd fans to begin with, so that they got it right away. But, they, you know, in terms of... Right. The broader thing, what's cool about my book actually is because Todd has produced so many different kinds of artists who are all mostly other than Meatloaf, mm -hmm. uh, and you know we'll get Meatloaf by the end of this, I'm sure. But um, but the Psychedelic Furs fans will want to hear this story, and the Cheap Trick fans are going. I got all all the Cheap Trick guys are on record here, yeah. uh, you know, and and yeah. even Jill Sobule and and yeah. she's a you reach a broader fan. audience. Yeah, and we have and, and you know for for Rock and Radio, I mean we have a band, uh, a person in a band that's has their own following it's it's obviously more popular than when we have a, a guy that's not that just happened to only tour with todd and you're gonna have golly man i mean you think about all the people you got meatloaf cheap trick i mean there's so many 
different And, you know, like I said, I'm going to talk to Patty yeah. Smith this week. Yeah, Patty David Smith. David Johansson is going to be on board. Daryl Hall is going to be on board. Yeah. Robbie Robertson of the band has said that through his representative that he's busy on a record right now, that, but that in about a, you know, a few nice. weeks, he'll, well, maybe a month or so, I think, mm-hmm. we're going to get him by the time the book's done. Okay. And I don't think Robbie's ever talked about, you know, because he worked on those re- early records with Todd as well. Like uh, He was involved in the Jesse Winchester era. Mm-hmm. As well as the Jericho album, and 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 then that's why he ended, that's why Todd ended up doing engineering on Stage Fright. Nice. You know, I don't know if I'll get Levon Helm though. I've heard some interesting. You guys. I haven't. Know. I've had no luck with that with the with his new Dirt album or whatever. Okay, so uh, I got eight minutes, and there's two things I'm dying to know about. One is Moogie Klingman. We've had him on the show. Billy James' book. He came across, and that may be just you know when when you're reading something versus talking to somebody, things are different. But he just comes across as kind of bitter, uh, negative sometimes about Todd. Uh, what were your impressions of Moogie Klingman? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to dump on Moogie, but um, I think, I think that, yeah, I think when you listen to Moogie, there's a little bit of sadness. You know, I feel like he's a little sad about a few things. But I'll tell you this, you know, there's obviously the legal issue he had with the meatloaf thing, and you guys know that stuff, right. right? And you know, I think he felt like meatloaf was partly his record, and I don't know if Meatloaf felt like that. And the, from uh, everything I've read and talked to Todd, it felt like maybe it was always going to be a Todd production alone and not a Todd and Moogie record. And, but, you know, Moogie has a take on it that uh, I wasn't there, so I'm not going to outright contradict the man, and I have a lot of respect for him. I'll tell you what Moogie did. Moogie was the guy who knew, he, he knew how to get good musicians and bring them into oh, Todd. Oh, no question. Todd had no, Todd had <laughs> no question. admitted he had no yeah. social skills and didn't have the energy, he didn't have the uh, need to go out and meet musicians. Yeah. But, but Moogie, Moogie knew everybody. No doubt. And anytime we have somebody on Siegler, all these guys, they all talk back to Moogie. And, you know. And Secret Sound. Yeah, exactly. All of them. Literally. So, literally. And I, like, I like Moogie. I like having him on the show. I like Moogie and everything. But he just really, I get this feeling that, and it may be the Meatloaf album, but it's a, it seems to be a financial thing where he's like, okay, um, I should have received more praise or money or something for what I have done. Sure. And, and I can appreciate that. That's but just it, sad, though. It's just sad that there's It that is. Feeling. It shouldn't have to be can that I, Can I also tell you, though, just so we go out on a positive note, sure. Moogie also said uh, so many times during our conversation, he said, there is no one that I know of who is more talented than Todd Roberts. Oh, yeah. He and, told us that, too. And, but, and, you, know, you know, some and, of the things he told me, he was dead on. He talked about the original Utopia. And uh, how bad they were, and I got a bootleg. He he wasn't kidding. I mean, it was it was pretty. It wasn't exactly spectacular, you know. And they were just getting started. And they were trying all these crazy things, but uh, you know, he just kind of tells it like it is. And I, I I actually respect and appreciate that. But outside of that, there still seems to be this issue with, you know, him kind of, you know, I should have been as popular as Todd type deal or something. Maybe I don't know. But like but, I said, like you know, for instance, I said something about uh, you know the about how Todd had been talking about Daryl Hall and, and how they were, like, very similar because they're both from Philadelphia. And I sort of said, just sort of as a way of saying something nice about Daryl Hall, I inadvertently said something like, <laughs> Daryl Hall has perfected the Philly soul singing style that maybe Todd didn't go all the way down that road, you know. Yeah. And he said, there's nobody, you can't say that Todd isn't the perfect Todd, though. Like, he sort of, he sort of thought that I was dissing Todd to, to praise Daryl. Sure. Yeah. And he made a point of saying to me, Todd is a perfect singer. Don't don't ever say that Daryl Hall's a better singer. And I said, oh, I wasn't saying better. I was just saying Daryl Hall's got the Philly thing down that maybe Todd kind of went another direction, 
you know, Todd's got the Who influences and stuff that's different. And anyway, so there was a point where Moogie was the first guy out of the block. Like, like in a, if it had been a hockey game, he would have been leaping over the boards to pummel me because he thought I was dissing Todd. <laughs> yeah, well, I got, I got to agree with Moogie. I mean, Todd's is is all about Philly soul, just and Daryl Hall is too. I mean, they're they're both excellent in that area. But I only got five minutes, and I got to go down this road because. And I apologize, Cruz Mouth, if you had another road you want to go down. Do you? Do you? Yeah, I did. I want to talk to him about writing a book, but go ahead. No, actually, you know what? Can we just ask Cruiser Mel one? Like, let's let, get let her have Cruiser Mel, go for it, baby. All right. I'm sorry, Doug, but I, I'm Earl. I get to go first. All right. Um, I just want to ask you, as an author, how do you even begin to edit this stuff down? I mean, surely you've got hours of interviews. Well, that's a funny answer, a funny thing to answer, because one of the problems I'm just having right now is I'm, I'm in what I call the indigestion phase, where uh, there's the digestion of all the information, and then there's the period where I can't sleep because I, I don't know how the hell I'm going to pull it all together. But I know that I get through this part every time. So so the good news is I I have that fire in my belly, and the bad news is it's acid indigestion at this point. But I'll, I'll be I'll – <laughs> it'll, it'll be great. It'll be great. I mean, you just have to trust me because God knows somebody has to trust me, you know. And, and I, I, it is hard, and, like, it really has a lot to do with – Keeping all the balls in the air, and those—I don't know if you've ever seen those old plate spinners on vaudeville TV show type things or the Ed Sullivan show or whatever. It's really about keeping all the plates spinning at the same time, and then thinking, you know, what am I actually saying here? And then somebody will read it who works for the book company, and they'll say, um, "You're rambling," or, "Or how come you didn't explain what happened to this guy?" And then I'll go back and fix it. And you know, well, do you have do you have a, a target date for when you want to get this done? There's not a specific date for the release, but it's spring 2010. So, okay. So, if you know anything about books, come on, man, step it up. <laughs> well, Go. yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I I I'm supposed to be finished it really soon, uh, oh, and I if I'm still writing this thing in November, we're in trouble. You know? Okay, three minutes. We got to get into this subject. Go, okay. Doug. Well, you didn't even give me a watch, but I'm gonna pass on that. I want to know about healing. I want to know as a musician. What do you think about this concept that music can heal people? And if so, why did Todd not continue in that trend, or why do other bands not do this idea of, hey, I can write music that will heal people or make them feel better? Um, I just would like to get more okay. input on that type this of This is album. an essay topic, right? So yes. I, but in the, in the minute allotted. No, you know, we're going to archives, but I just want to you know, get some okay, of the listeners to get think. a taste okay. of it. To answer the first part, Todd... Todd has like you know the artistic equivalent of ADD, and he'll do something he'll do something uh, and just do it, and then a year later he might be in a different place and want something else, or he might be he might just have some intuitive thing that happens, and so he doesn't always follow a linear path in his work. In fact, probably you love him because he doesn't do that. Right. And then the other thing is, as far as other artists, I do believe you'll you saw in the era after that, not necessarily as a result of, but maybe some kind of zeitgeist thing, there was a move towards what they called New Age music. Mm-hmm. And New Age music, a lot of it was based on, and you'll hear it in spas and stuff in massage places now, like, I mean, I'm talking about legal massage places. Uh, <laughs> you'll hear spa music, and a lot of it is is the idea of a particular, you know, healing frequency and people talk, you know. So there, there's definitely, it's not like nobody else is doing that, mm-hmm. but I just think that in terms of popular music, it's always going to be, you know, it's always going to be uh, a fringe thing because it's not something that's easily packaged in 
made into a pop hit. Like, you're not going to see uh, the High School Musical cast do a healing album. You know? <laughs> yeah. Although, God knows we'd love that, right? right. You know, and maybe, Pulse won't be in the top 40. Or Miley Cyrus great. doing yeah. something about, you know, about healing. You know, like, I, I, I just don't expect to see that. Right. You know, but, but maybe not. But I don't know. <laughs> so I hope that answers your question. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, people do make records. Like, I mean, t- Todd rarely repeats himself, pop, probably because he's always trying to do something different. Right. And and so that's why he probably never followed through. Although elements of stuff come through again, right? Like, mm-hmm. so you never know. Like, there's tracks on. There's a track on. Oh no, I'm blanking. But on Arena, that sounded like something from Liar. Yeah. Well, that uh, reminds me because I know Cruiser Mail. I'm going to ask a question for her because I know she's forgotten, and maybe she hasn't. But what? she's interested in these songs where Todd actually brings in songs from the past. You're talking about like the like show tunes, like something no, 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 no. Like he quotes himself. He'll say, "Feet don't fail me now." I, I yeah. heard it. I think in three different songs. Yeah. Oh, I never asked him about that. That's an interesting thing. Yeah, that's something I'll, I'll have to get back to. There's the next several. Time. If you listen, there's several songs where he he mentions other songs that that were from the past. Little little things about them, like like Mel said, "Feet don't fail me now." But you'll find a lot of those. Uh, and there's a few actually, I think, in Arena. Yep. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll figure them out and send you an email on this. Yeah. yeah, that could be. Uh, that's that's definitely that's definitely. Yeah, uh, I I know that he sort of. Well, there's definitely Wolfman Jack. Uh, yeah. Uh, like Wolfman, you cried wolf mm-hmm. is very similar to yeah. Wolfman Jack. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think that's. Some of them that's... though are blatant. I mean, they're they're just you know. Well, and he has two songs that are actually called Mountaintop. If you think. That's about right. It. That's a good yeah. point. I I did notice that. Yeah. Uh, but that's also the whole Buddhist thing that sort of goes through that whole thing about climbing the mountaintop. But uh, I actually asked him a question about music, which I think I wasn't sure if I offended him, and I, I doubt he's listening. But uh, I asked him about there's a, the keyboard pad in You Cried Wolf on the verses goes like, like and it reminded me of International Feel. And and then it also reminded me of It's All Too Much, which he produced in Village. <laughs> yeah. And I wondered, that which would trace it back to George Harrison, who wrote the song It's All Too Much, and I sort of like asked him about that. I said, do you know, do you ever think like you hear a latent influence of something like that? Like, did the George Harrison track kind of permeate itself into international feel, and then maybe international feel, you know, into the keyboard part? And he kind of looked at me with a look that sort of I don't know how to read his look, but I, <laughs> it, it was I think it was kind of like really, you really you really want to ask me that? Uh, you know? I, I asked him what his favorite song was. I was such an <laughs> idiot. I don't know why I did that, but I said, hey, what's your favorite song off that record? And he literally looked above, like, you know how people look over their glasses like oh, yeah. a librarian? He he said, really? You're going to ask, gonna ask me that? Yeah, it's like, yeah, he's, who are your influences? He'll look at you like, what? You, you just don't know my music if you're asking that question. But, yeah, um, good but stuff. How did, well, how did he answer it? Did he say that they're all my bad? Right. No, he, he uh, like, in terms of the all too much question, yeah, he, he he said like you know, there's only so many chords and you know and you know he plays in a three three note style like his right hand is always doing like sort of those simple clusters and yeah. but it's the way he arranges them so a lot of the chords end up having the same sort of construction anyway so I, I uh, I'm not a keyboard player but I I recognize that from like I have a limited keyboard ability so I'm a guitar player but um, you know, you'll hear it. It's it's it, it's that thing they call it a suspension, actually, in musical terms. It's, it's what I call the Todd chord. You'll hear it in almost the every Todd time. chord. I like that. Well, he definitely you hear it almost every time he ever did. It's, it's one of those. It's like the couldn't. It's like the uh, 
wouldn't have made any difference yeah. uh, the way it goes. But it's a chord. I can't hum a chord. But uh, anyway, I digress. Uh, well, he wasn't listening tonight because he was doing a gig in Foxborough, but maybe he'll listen to the archive. You never know. We're going to answer that question. But Well, if he is listening, thank you, Todd, for the stir-fry. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Todd, for Todd's talk and everything else. And for the car. And for the music. It's nice of him to lend me a car. Yeah, very good. So did, he cook, did he cook up any spam by? Mm. No, we saw. I saw the spam closet, though, I have to mm. say. That was uh, quite impressive. Um <laughs> But uh, and I also want to give a shout out to the the uh, Java Kai I think it is in Honolulu Hon- 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 that's right because I thought it was pronounced Honolulu but apparently in Puff the Magic Dragon no it's actually pronounced Honolulu and they in the song they pronounce it Honolulu that's right we're Puff the Magic Dragon <laughs> which is right down the road from from uh, from uh, where he is there you go well hey Paul we appreciate your time because we have used a lot of it we're already I'm in the rambler mode I got to ask you though. Before we let you go, how impressed are you that we went over an hour and a half and not one single caller or one single question came out about your brother? I I, I was impressed up until just about now, but that's great. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a great way to end the oh, show. Yeah. Is right. that a way to go, Doug? <laughs> and I, hey, I, just, I will say, now that we're on the record, I will say I love my brother. He's a great guy, and we're just talking to him today. I'm going to see him on the weekend in New York. So there you go. <laughs> okay. Sure. No, great, man. People will love the hey, chat room response. Was great. We'll do it again sometime, hopefully. Love talking to you. Can't wait till the book when yeah, it's yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like things crazy. I don't know now, I'll fine tune by the time the book comes out. And there's so much stuff I do have that is just like, it's just incredible. It just takes you right in the room uh, on all these great records. So. Oh yeah, keep it's gonna be, it's gonna be an awesome gargantuan thing that I hope. I win a Nobel Prize for. Uh, we know it'll be good. We'll pimp it like crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks, man. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks, man. Mel. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, oh, Paul. Thanks, Cruiser Mel. See you. Okay. Hi everybody, this is Todd Rundgren and you're listening to RundgrenRadio.com You are the crest of the crown, my friend yeah, Thank you so much for your support We love you, guys.